Good afternoon, folks. This is Jonas Brasco, and this is the Fighting Game Banter Podcast. Here, we dive into the world of fighting games and talk about the development, growth, and the FGC. Good day, folks. This is Jonas Brasco with the Fighting Game Banter Podcast, where we're just here talking about fighting games, the FGC, the development, and how it relates to us. Long story short, We've talked about the Game Awards for the first two episodes, and Street Fighter VI won the Game Awards. We talked also about the amount of time given to the fighting game category. One thing we haven't talked about is what I wanted, what I felt should have won the award, and who was my pick. And to make a long story short, my pick was Rocket Bravery. It's the fighting game that I played the most this year, and it had a lot of options that I really, really liked. That's going to be the main thing that I'm talking about now. The first thing that I really, really liked about the game is the mechanics. The mechanics were solid. Um, the moves were easy to perform. They had modern controls as well as your traditional regular controls. I also liked the fact that there was an actual burst mechanic. I had recently been playing DNF Duel since the Epic Game Store released it for free. And to be honest... I forgot how much I actually like bursts in counters. Like, you could do a counter punch or, like, something to get a person off, but you can't do an actual burst to get them off of you, especially when you're being attacked. The other thing that I really liked is they had, like, an EX meter, but it wasn't like you did an enhanced version of the EX moves. You actually got new moves every time you used your meter, which was very fun, especially to do combos off of, you link into it, and then you link into it again. I thought that was very interesting. Another mechanic that really was interesting, and my personal favorite, is it had extra modes of single-player content to help you get fighter points so you can buy new colors, new characters, mainly Orhe. And there were a lot of people in the beginning that were complaining about how many fighter points it took to buy him, and Satara Studios did reduce it so that you could use actually a code to get Ore for free without, you know, grinding for fighter points. I felt sad because there was plenty of things you could have done to make it happen, especially like the jump shoot 'em up mode where you're Daisuke and you're trying to get to Zamina and you're avoiding all these these beams or hands that are trying to grab you. You're trying to get away from that, make sure none of them hit you. And the farther you get, you actually gain meters to basically your bomb meter. You can cut everything up on the screen. You know, it's a nuke. You build up nukes, which I thought was pretty interesting. They also had, and you could unlock this, same thing with the fighter points. You could unlock a rainbow mode. For those who don't know the story, Street Fighter 2 had a rainbow edition where people were just adding mods like extra fireballs, stuff in midair, some crazy, crazy stuff. And... That was one of the things that actually led to Street Fighter Turbo. So this was a great little Easter egg that they threw in and you could try out with your friends. I don't believe you can play it online, but don't quote me on that. But the other thing was the actual presentation of the game. It has a full story mode where, yes, it follows your main protagonist, but you do get to meet all these people along the way. You get various abilities and challenges throughout to help you learn the game, which is very, very good. And I really appreciate it. Outside of that, without going into the story mode, the arcade mode, you can pick with all the characters and each of their arcade endings, their arcade routes are actually canon. 
So it's a great way to feel like you're including everyone in the story, even if though they're not necessarily in the story mode. The pixel graphics were also great. They may not be your top notch like Melty Blood or Undernight or even KOF 13, since that's what a lot of people go to. But the animation in itself was really, really good. If nothing else, if people are turned off by the pixels because they're not this big high res deal, then I get it. There are some people like, we want the 3D, we want to have the 3D. But I also see a lot of people, especially on Ficate, playing that third strike. So I know that it's not necessarily the pixel graphics, it's the gameplay that matters. And Pocket Bravery definitely has the gameplay. It also has a nice, nice accessibility features for descriptive text and also options for people with various forms of colorblindness. Now, I've heard some people lately that have been complaining about the features not really addressing certain things. However, they did not make their voices clear or defended their position well online. Instead of just complaining about the features not looking the way that they feel like they should have, they could have actually made recommendations. They could have emailed or contacted Satara Studios. They could have even have list examples of her games that successfully address colorblindness. Instead, that didn't seem like that was the case. The other thing, it has one of the best examples of cultural representation that I've seen out of fighting game. With the origin of the game being from Brazil, it makes it a lot easier to have characters that are from different cultures that you don't necessarily see in other fighting games. You do have a African fighter that doesn't have white hair to try to bring them out as far as like their color palette. Now, granted, he is wearing a hat. At the same time, yes, it brings his color out a little bit. It's a known sign, but it still feels authentic when you're watching and playing the character. And the stages are beautiful. They have nice little stage intros a la King of Fighters 94, 95 to get you in the mood for the stage, which I think is pretty cool because that's not something you really see that often, even in 3D games. It really is like we're just going to maybe zoom in on the stage and that's pretty much it. There's nothing like special going on in the background or anything that leads you into the stage. Now, one of the other questions is, is it affordable? And sadly, that kind of depends on where you're located. When I was doing a check as of December 25th, uh, 2023, I hope everyone who does celebrate the holidays, I hope you had a good. We're going to use an example of Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising, which costs $49.99 in the US. In Brazilian Real, it is 264.90 Real, which is the equivalent of 54.14. Now, yes, that's a little high, but it seems pretty reasonable. Now, the basic version of Pocket Bravery in the United States is $19.99, while in Brazil, it's $50.99. But in the U.S., that will be the equivalent of $11.07. So you can see that there's a lot more of a difference there versus, you know, buying it in Brazil. Now, this wouldn't be too much of an issue if it wasn't for the adaption of the Latin America agreement or the LATAM agreement that went to effect on November 20th, 2023. The argument switches the game prices from a country's local currency to the U.S. dollar. This was done to try to prevent countries switching to get a lower price on games 
such as Argentina and their weak currency. A lot of people would actually country swap to get games cheaper. So even though in Brazil it was more expensive, other countries like Argentina and stuff, you could get a game cheaper at a lower price. So to prevent that from happening, they made this agreement that goes to South American countries would normally be cheaper, but are now required to at least have the equivalent price of the American dollar. And while I mentioned that the Brazilian price is higher, it's the fact that the countries around Brazil, like Bolivia, Guyana, Paraguay, Venezuela, Suriname, all of them will be paying a cheaper price because it will be based off the American dollar. And I mentioned that earlier with some of the price equivalents. Now, with everything that I've said, we're now getting to one of the big issues, which is what was wrong with the game and why am I not playing it now? When I was playing Pocket Bravery, I looked at it as a game where I could develop my skills as a fighting game player. And I really did. I put about 60 hours in the game. The only game that I played more than Pocket Bravery was Multi-Blood Type Lumina. And that was more or less at the time that I was playing and practicing on the hopes of actually going to EVO. That didn't happen. When Pocket Bravery came out in August, I bought the Premiere Edition for $29.99. So I'll get two years of DLC. The first character, Rick from Guns and Runs, is going to be released shortly. I love the fact that they're admitting the EOS system that they've been using for rollback and online lobbies isn't that great. So they've stopped trying to make that system work, and they did their best to do that. I want to point out they constantly made updates for like the first two months of the game, but it was very clear that this wasn't going to work. So instead, they're switching to the PlayFab system, which is the same one used by Street Fighter VI. If nothing else, at least Pocket Bravery had lobbies, not just host and spectator. And yes, for people who know, I am talking about the Rumblefish. So it was at least an attempt, but I'm glad that it's like, okay, we admit we rushed this out. We thought we could make it work and it didn't work. So we're going to kind of refresh fix this and hopefully the next time it'll be good and it'll be time for the console versions which was the other thing there was going to be console versions i believe a streamer and online personality Rufelmonger, played the game and was told that there would be cross play and cross platform i don't know if there's going to be cross progression that's the term i want to use where if you're playing it on one console and then your progress will be saved on another console that is what i'm not sure of According to Rufalmonger, which Sitar Studios gave him a copy, he tried it out, and he's privy to a lot more information. It is said that this game will have crossplay in the future. When you do get the rollback on it, the rollback is actually not that bad. It's just really finding matches and connecting with them. The things that I find interesting is not just its Game Awards nomination, the Game Awards nomination, it did actually win some awards. At the Brazilian Game Festival, it won for Best Game. At the Flow Game Awards, it won for Best Brazilian Game. It is in that region. It was given a lot of respect and has a higher award than you would ever imagine. In the United States, I could never imagine a fighting game getting Best Game in your country or Best Game in your industry in that area. So it was nice to see that this game is respected. There are people playing it. I enjoyed playing the game because I would have people from Brazil and South American countries respect that I was still playing this game. I added 
a Portuguese closed caption to my stream when I would speak, which translated to Portuguese the best that I could. And people respect the fact that I was freaking the effort. I wanted to play people. I wanted to get the experience. The same thing with my chat. I had a text descriptive so that if something I said in the chat was in English or someone's comment was in English, it will be translated to Portuguese. I really enjoyed that. I also learned a little bit more about Brazilian culture. I'm now drinking more Yerba Mate and actually using a Bombilla to drink it as well. That's another personal thing. At the end of the day, there is stuff we could do, North American can do, to actually promote the game. One of the first things is if you're in Brazil or any other country that is stuck with regional pricing, you have to talk to, email, contact the, both the developers and publishers. Because at the end of the day, Valve and Steam do not have control of the prices. If you want the prices to feel fair among the region, contact them and explain your situation. And hopefully they can understand, give a price that is somewhat comparable to what the price is being everywhere else. Now, if you want to know out curiosity, the Latam and Middle Eastern North African countries the majority of them are getting the U.S. dollar and are paying a lower price. The Russian ruble, I believe, is the best as far as I've seen as of Steam database when I checked on December 25th. You could also join the Satara Studios Discord server if you do want to play matches as well as to keep up with the latest development. If you are a dual language speaker that is an English speaker that also speaks Portuguese, we would encourage you to supply information about the games on both Wikipedia, Mizumi, or supercombo.gg because there are no wikis in English for the game. There are a couple of videos online and the Discord server. That is pretty much it for resources. If someone can translate the majority from Portuguese to English and share those resources online, that would be greatly appreciated. It would give the game into the light a little bit more. It will bring up interest in the game. And knowing that there are resources that are in English that people can use will bring out the game as even more. I literally was on 5K a little bit earlier and I was able to find people playing the Rumblefish 2, Akatsuki Blitzcom, Street Fighter Third Strike, of course. And there's plenty of resources for those games. Even Breaker's Revenge. There's more people playing that. P-Cube is the one that brought out the Breakers Collection, and that is marvelous. Breakers Collection is amazing. Got rollback netcode, you got crossplay, you have lobbies, you have a good rank system. It's one of those things that is beautiful. And Shokamui from Breakers is a guest character in Pocket Bravery and plays nearly the same. There's not going to be much different for you to find out if you want to play the game. And he is unlockable. He, it's not DLC. You get it with the base game for $19.99. The other thing is artists. And I'm seeing a lot of them real quickly. Artists create art, sprite edits, crossover, something to bring the characters out there because these characters have interesting stories that can be built from. And just saying, hey, I like this design. I want to do something with it. Or, hey, this character is similar to this one. Maybe I should do some art of that. I think that would be pretty cool. And while I know that a lot of people are waiting for, for the console releases, you can always buy the game on Steam. It is available on Steam, does not cost that much. I believe $19.99 for the base game, $24.99 
for season one DLC and twenty nine ninety nine for season one and season two DLC along with the base game. And I can tell you no one else would offer that, especially when you're close to the price for a season of DLC $29.99. In fact, Red Blue Fantasy versus Rising DLC is literally $49.99 for the first one. So I don't know why people are willing to play that except that they feel that it's going to be a tournament game or like hey I can win Evo with this or my local tournaments they're going to have it and I get it so why can't this be a tournament game I feel it has the resources it has the mechanics I mean there are games that somewhat look better or necessarily but they're solid on the mechanics and it has a great fan base. Idol Showdown is a great example of this. It has pixel graphics. These characters, idols, VTubers, have established canon storylines that people understand and relate to. So they have fans to straw off with. That is probably one of the other things about this game so far is it's starting from the beginning. There is no established canon. There is no established characters. It's like you're starting from scratch. And you either relate to them or you don't. And that's why I'm saying it's encouraging for artists. It's encouraging for dual language speakers to get the info out there. There is some story mentioned on the Satara Studios Discord. The main thing is a lot of people don't want to play a game that they have to hunt for the information to be able to play. So I'm encouraging people if you can go and supply information to these resources... I guarantee you will have more people in North America, more people in Europe, and other English-speaking countries that will play this game. Because I enjoyed it. For me, like I said, it was my game of the year. I love going through the storyline. When I did have my online matches, I enjoyed playing with the mechanics. And hopefully, if you get the game a try, you will do. Thank you for listening. I didn't do a video version of this one because I wasn't planning on it. I had something else planned with talking about Modus, but at the end of the day, I pretty much said exactly what I said in my previous podcast, and I don't need to necessarily say any more. This podcast is not about talking bad about people. It really isn't, and I don't want that to be something that is present or that I'm known for. If I'm going to say stuff, I can say stuff online, or if I could be balanced and actually have some of these developers come in and explain themselves why they do the things they do, why they had the choices that they make. I'd rather do that versus going and complaining, because there's plenty of people who complain about stuff online, and that's not the purpose of this podcast, and I apologize for anyone who was listening thinking that that's what this podcast was going to be. That's not my intention. That's not where I want to go with it. And with that, I'm going to leave this on a good for those, you know, holiday season. I hope you enjoy it. I also want to say this has been one of the best parts of 2023 for me was creating this podcast. I hope to do a lot more in 2024. This will be the last one of this year. But for those who have listened, for those who have liked this, I really, really appreciate it. I know that I'm not going to be big right now. It's a small podcast. I'm not trying to be like those thousands and thousands of listeners. If it happens, it happens. But as long as there's at least one person enjoying it, finding me entertaining, that's really realistically all that matters to me. Thank you for those who have joined me for this journey. It's only the beginning. And as time goes by, I hope to get better. This is Jonas Brasco. 
You're listening to the Fighting Game Banter Podcast, and wherever you are, good morning, good evening, good night. Good day to all. This is the addendum to this episode of the Fighting Game Banter Podcast. I made a couple of mistakes that I'd like to correct. The first one is the mispronunciation of Guyana and Suriname. I messed up with that during the podcast, and for that I apologize. Next thing was addressing the accessibility setting that the team at Satara Studios tried to address. Granted, it might not have been the best option, but they tried, along with other fighting games that are trying to be more accessible to people with colorblindness. Two things I would like for them to keep in mind. Starters, mistakes will be made, and then will take time to adapt to those mistakes and get things correct. But for that to happen, you have to show up to actually play the games. They have play tests. They have open beta. I don't want to forget about demo. One of the important things about that is the majority of have surveys afterward. Sometimes they have questionnaires to get into closed beta. Mentioning that you have a colorblind issue or an accessibility issue will make it more likely that you will get into these closed betas to test the game and get the developers information that could benefit you. That seems a pretty good approach instead of attacking games that try to address the issue and they may make a mistake with that. The fact of the matter is, Yes, fighting games may not get the accessibility aspects that you would like, but it doesn't matter if you don't go and play these games. If you're not the ones that are participating in this testing, in these betas, if you're at a local tournament and you see that these games have these issues, you could talk to the tournament organizer and ask, hey, can we put it on these settings to help? And I'm sure that they will be accommodating. All I'm trying to say is you will have allies and people who support your cause, but you can't expect that to be the case if it's showing up after the fight has already happened. So I'm encouraging you to play the games, to talk to the developers, to fill out these the questionnaires, the surveys, maybe email, join discords. Most of the discords for these games have bug reports. So if this is something that's actually bothering you then you need to say something when the game is being developed not after it's done you see the final product and it disappoints you we can't as a community help you if you're not willing to help yourselves so please play the games if they do not address the issues that you have then they're going to do their best to try to address the issues the way they can. And it may not be what you want, but at least they're making more of an effort than you did at the time of this. So it's pretty simple. Show up and don't show out. And people will listen. People will understand. People will make the effort. That is one of the lovely things about the fighting game community and the fighting game developers. They listen to the people that play the games. Things get changed, added, because... The people who play the games tell the developers, we need this. If we're not seeing tournament footage 
that has certain settings for certain colorblind issues, then it's pretty easy to assume you're not there. I have nothing else to say, except there are people that will support you, but you have to make it clear that you need support. And the only way you're going to do that is show up. So please, this is Jonas Brasco. As long as you make the effort for us, we'll make the effort for you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Fighting Game Banter Podcast. Any inquiries for guests, questions can be reached at my email address, which is jonasbrasco at gmail.com. This podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and even TuneIn. For anything else, feel free to email me and also check my social media which is at Jonas Brasco on x slash twitter call it what you will thanks again for listening and have a good day